I've reported other people's stories for a long time, confronting people in power. But behind this broadcast voice, I've hidden my greatest secret. I was in an abusive marriage. It lasted a year, but it changed my life. Part of me always blamed myself for what happened, and I've lived with the shame. So many of us live like this. It's time we change that. I'm Anna Maria Tremonti. Welcome to Paradise is my story. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. That is probably him now. Hello? Hello. Since my sister Joanne died in January, I've become a reluctant student of bereavement. Come on up, big guy. It's time for you. Okay. But I never imagined I could learn so much about handling grief with grace from a kid who's just nine years old (laughs) and his mom. Hi. Hi. This is Dr. Goldman. Dr. Goldman, you may call me Brian. You can is that okay? Yes. Or, or do you, would, rather, would you rather call doctors doctors? I think I'm good with Brian. Okay. <laughs> All right. How was school? Good. Good. How's your day? Good, thank you. The boy's name is Zachariah Bulger. His mom is Sharon. <laughs> That's more like it. Yes. Hey? Mm-hmm. Are you a hugger? Yes, I am. <laughs> you do like your hugs, don't you? Yes, I do. What grade are you in? I am grade four. What's your favorite subject? I'm going to say science. Science? What kind of science? Like chemistry? Do you you like to build stuff? No, I did a um, project. It's actually outside. And it was how um, much fuel does a rocket need to go into outer space? And that was my science project. Wow. Can you answer that question for me? Because I have no idea. It actually takes 3.5 million pounds of fuel to get into space. Wow. That's a lot of fuel. Yes. Zach dreams of taking a space rocket to the stars. Did you like learning that? Until recently, he's been on a much more terrible journey here on Earth. The undiscovered country of life without his older brother Cameron. He died of a rare form of brain cancer in May 2020 and left a giant-sized hole in the heart of the Bulger family. You want to be a rocket engineer? No, I probably want to be a, a policeman, but a rocket en- engineer sounds really cool. But as I discovered when I sat down with Zach and his mom, Sharon, at their home in Surrey, B.C., the journey back is both aching and uplifting. I have to learn first about what you've lost. Mm-hmm. Are you able to talk about Cameron and what he was like before this all started? I can, yes. Talking about Cameron is actually such a joy for me because it keeps him alive and it keeps our memories of him alive. So Cameron, he was the lover of life. Um, that kid was funny and, I mean, downright hilarious, actually. He he just loved cracking jokes and making people smile. He loved adventures. He was always up for, like, heading out and going to try new things. He also just loved to snuggle. He loved his people. Like his heart was huge and, and loving on his people and making sure that people around him were happy and laughing was really like his joy. And it brought him such happiness. And he loved hockey, being sporty. Movies, Marvel were his favorite. You know, this is one of those. (laughs) 
yeah, superheroes, you know, Beyblades. This kid was really um, kind of all about having fun. And he was brother to Zach. Was he a protective big brother? Sometimes brothers are rivals. Bit of an age difference. No, he loved Zach. Some of my favorite memories are Cameron would, would beg Zach every night to come and give him a kiss goodnight. And Zach sort of had this little power, right? And the younger brother was one of the few places um, where, you know, he'd be like, oh, do I have to? You know, they were kind of joking. And Cameron would be like, please come and give me a hug and kiss goodnight. And so that was sort of the routine every night. And of course, Zach always went in and, and you know, obliged and gave him a big squeeze and they would giggle. And that was Cameron. He loved his brother. I have so many pictures of him with his arm around his little brother. You know, he would just like tuck him in close. In January 2018, Cameron was at school when he had a seizure. He was rushed to a local hospital where a CT scan showed a tumor on the right side of his brain that turned out to be an aggressive form of brain cancer. He was just six. Surgeons at BC Children's Hospital removed 99% of the tumor. After six months of chemo and stem cell transplants, doctors said the cancer was in remission. Then it recurred. It had come back, and it come back with vengeance, and it was no longer operable, and there was no treatment options that were curative. Maybe some that would buy us some time, although we tried them, everything. How did Cameron take this news that shattered you? Initially, he just said, I don't want to die with you guys feeling scared. <laughs> like, honestly, that's what he said. And I was like, gosh, I don't even know what to do with that. And he said, Mom, if I die, can you please bury me? I want a gravesite so you can come and visit me. And it broke me because I don't even, I don't know why he was even thinking of that. Like that, we hadn't had those conversations, but that's what led me into this like realization that there was this real wisdom and knowing in him. We didn't ever say to him, Cameron, you are going to die. We just said, Cameron, there are no more treatment options. Like this is now in the hands of God. Before Cameron's illness, he and Zach were inseparable. In this video taken on Cameron's sixth birthday in 2017, yeah. Zach helps his older brother open presents. For long periods of time before and after the cancer recurrence, Sharon stayed with Cameron in hospital, leaving husband Glenn and Zach yeah. back in Surrey. Zach, now we're ready to open this one. How old was Zach when all this was going down? Zach was four when Cameron was diagnosed, and he was six when, when Cameron passed away. Cameron went through so much. The family went through so much. Where was Zach at during that period of time? Uh, it, the sibling story just breaks my heart. Zachariah had to watch us move out of home. So Cameron and I moved out for six months when we started battling, and we moved into Children's Hospital. Um, we had a couple of weekends home in that period of time. 
we literally moved out of his life. And Cameron was so, so sick that it was hard for them to come visit. You know, Zachariah was starting kindergarten. You know what? That's like germ central. Exposing him to Cameron could have really made Cameron ill. And so Zach was here with his dad and, and that was really hard for him. And he didn't understand but, you know, Zachariah got really good at pushing feeds with us. So he'd be like, it's my turn. I want to help. And Cameron was really gracious. Thank you, Zach. That's so helpful. You know, such a nice big brother. Such a nice little brother. Yeah. Yeah. He really loved on Cameron. And I think that's, that's part of why his grief has been so big. Cameron died at home, surrounded by extended family. The family was supported by staff from Canuck Place Children's Hospice, the first pediatric hospice in North America. The not-for-profit provides pain and symptom management, respite and end-of-life care, grief and bereavement counseling, and more, all at no cost to families. Sharon Bulger. Canuck Place heard us. I mean, they have a 24-hour line. We could call at any point in time if we were worried or we didn't know, if we didn't know if his meds were right or if we should give him some more. And they sent us nurses. You know, Doreen came and stayed with us on our last night here. And she literally sat in my bedroom with Cameron as I slept on the other side of him. And she stood up all night, just there. Every time I would wake up to check on Cameron, she would reassure me. They just stood with us in this most unimaginable reality. And the morning of May 16th, when we that's the morning we lost Cameron, they just surrounded us. They, Our whole family, aunts, uncles, cousins, like everybody that was super close to us piled into my bedroom. And we surrounded Cameron and we just loved on him. And he died in our arms and they were there. And they stood with us and they supported us. They supported our family. I mean, they just, they made the worst day of our lives somewhat bearable in the sense that we didn't have to worry about what was going to happen. We knew we were cared for, so we could just love Cameron. And we could just sit in this moment, and we could just squish on Zach afterwards and, and sit in complete grief. After Cameron died, Sharon says she felt numb at first, then aching sadness at each first, like the first road trip with an empty seat in the back. There was her grief and Zach's. When Cameron died, Zachariah asked us probably for about six months, almost every day, please tell me today he's coming back. Why can't he come back? Please, can we go to the gravesite and dig him up? We need to bring him back. He didn't get it. And we relived that grief with him day in and day out and day in and day out. Because he didn't understand. When did you realize we got a big job here? This is, this is big. Zach's grief is huge. I think we had inklings of it, but I think the first morning when we all got up and we were sitting, we came into the living room and I realized, like, we are not okay and none of us know how to do this. And Zachariah oscillated between sobbing and really crying out like in anger, like, why did this happen? Bring him back. He was demanding and assertive and like all of the things, to be honest, that we felt and we wanted to say, but as adults we have words for, you could see in him, he could not grasp this. It's been three years since Cameron died. 
and Zack, now age nine, is better able to put words to his grief and the nightmares he still sometimes gets. You get bad dreams? Yes. Lots and lots of dreams. Do you remember them? I remember one where I remember a lot of people came to haunt me and try to kill me. Really? Yep. Were you, did you wake up scared? Um, yes, I did, and I also had a dream when my mom was putting me to bed. Um, I, I like, woke up, um, holding my hand, like, because I went like this, and I, um, fell, almost smacked my head because I was so scared. I just turned over, hugged my mom. Do you remember what the dream was about? Yeah, it was, um, a dream about, like, this um, weird ghost, um, holding my dad under the blankets, um, and he had a shotgun. Wow. You have, you have vivid dreams. Yes, I do. Who do you like to talk to about your dreams the most? My mom. Yeah? she make you feel better? Yes. How? How does she do that? Hugs, kisses, um, love. Did she ever tell you it's just a dream? Do you? I think so, probably. Don't worry, it's just a dream. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Hilary McBride. Normally, therapy sessions are totally confidential, but in other people's problems, I open the doors to let you hear sessions with my long-standing clients. This is what people sound like when they talk with someone they trust about healing addiction, parenting stress, racist ideologies in the family, and other topics that feel so timely as we come through this difficult time. Other People's Problems, available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. Our show this week is about Sharon Bulger, who lost her eldest son, Cameron, to brain cancer. Along with her own grief, she's also trying to help her nine-year-old son, Zach, deal with his. The care providers at Canuck Place have stepped up once again. They helped the Bulger family during Cameron's final days, but they haven't stopped there. Three years after Cameron's death, a social worker at the hospice is still meeting regularly with his brother, Zach. Hi, my name's Emily Watson. I'm a social worker and counselor at Connect Place Children's Hospice in Vancouver. I use play and child therapy uh, to support kids who are experiencing grief and loss. Hey, cool dude. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hello. Hello, me again. How was baseball? Good. What is this new necklace? Oh, it's Cameron's. This is Cameron's? Yeah. I've never seen this one before. Can you tell me about it? It's Black Panther's um, necklace. Wow. 
That's cool. Did you just start wearing this one? Did you just find it? Or is it something you've worn all along? I've had it for like, uh, since Cameron died. Oh, oh, what made you decide to wear it today? Um, I was just missing Cameron, yeah. and it goes well with the hat I'm wearing. Here at Canuck Place, the place where people helped Cameron so much, Emily Watson has been meeting regularly with Zach, and that started before his brother died. Often at Canuck Place, we are have the opportunity to meet families long before the child um, dies. So we often have the opportunity to meet families in the early stages of a disease process, and then as we, as the child continues to experience their illness and and perhaps reaches those end of life stages, we really have had an opportunity to build relationship with families. So when we can, we hope to connect with siblings earlier on in um, their brother or sister's illness trajectory. To to what end? Why 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 do you do that? Why is why is that a uh... Uh, something that's that's potentially useful, helpful in a therapeutic sense? There'd be a couple of reasons that's helpful. One being that the therapeutic relationship is so important in child counseling in any form of counseling with any age is that really so much of the change happens in that safe, trusting relationship. And for kids, that's what allows them to feel safe, to share those thoughts and those feelings and the questions, the deep questions that they're afraid to ask. And so we want to build that relationship as early as we can. And there's also real benefit in that continuity of care in a kid like Zach knowing that I met Cameron, that I was there for those days when things were so scary and uncertain and where the inevitable was near and they were making sense of, of what that meant for, for their family. Um, so there's a lot of benefit in, in me being able to say, hey, remember when this happened? Or remember when I was at your house and, and you were playing with Cameron in this way or you were helping him in this Zach was just six when Emily first started working with him. Like most kids his age, he couldn't talk through his sadness in words. So Emily did the next best thing. zoomed into the sand. So all getting um, ready for the next measurement. They just came back from a car accident and there was like a huge explosion. So they all came. Wow. She got and Zach to express his ditch. grief through play therapy. A huge explosion in the ditch. They needed all of the first responders. I'm watching Zach stage a plane crash and an elaborate rescue involving many first responders. I should, I should drive to drive this time. No, you're not driving. Okay, fine. Because I got the license. Two people need a ride. Boy, drive away. No, we're good. Emily Watson explains the theory. Play therapy is used to... Um, really capitalize on play as a child's natural language. So play is the way that kids communicate their thoughts and their feelings and their experiences uh, in a way that is less threatening and utilizes the developmental capacities they have uh, in those early years when verbal language is not as strong uh, and the use of metaphors and externalization is uh, so natural to them. So what ages are we talking about? So really we start anywhere around, at Connect Place, we tend to start anywhere around age four and really until kids are no longer 
as interested in in using play uh, in a therapeutic context. So for some kids, that's 10, 11. For other kids, maybe that's 15, 16. And the modalities we use in play, whether that's child-centered play where the kids are directing the play or whether that's expressive arts or music, uh, kids can can do those all the way through and through adulthood. Some kids or some adults even enjoy those. So um, tell me what you can about Zach. Zach is a remarkable little fellow. He came to me when his uh, sweet older brother Cameron was um, in the the final stages of cancer, and he came to me with energy and uh, <laughs> spunk, and he was ready to play. He was ready to show me all that was going on in his heart and his head around everything that was happening for Cameron and for his family. That's how Emily Watson sees it. I wanted to get Zach's take on working through his grief. Yes, it's an airplane space for two people. Well, three actually. Oh yeah, there's an extra seat there. Do you like Canuck Place? I really do, because um, I get to have my own counsel there. I get privacy when I'm there. And I don't have to learn any math or anything. Sounds like my kind of place. And and when you pick up toys, do you what's walk me through what that's like? Do you just pick up whatever you feel like? Whatever's in your whatever's in your field of vision, whatever you can see in front of you? Yep. Just whatever you feel like. Yeah. And I also play sometimes like um, what I have for, like, bad dreams, and she helps me through those and stuff. You feel better when you leave than you did when you came? Like, each time, do you feel like you're, are you ever in a bad mood when you're there? Of sadness sometimes, but, um, sometimes I'm sad to leave also. That's what I really don't like. Hmm. What do you remember about your brother Cameron? Um, I remember that he was funny. I remember that he was um, very loving, very caring for other people. You remember all that? Yes. You were just a little kid when he got sick. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. But I've grown since then. You have. You're growing up, growing up fast. Yes. Mm-hmm. You seem like a happy kid. I am. I'm also excited to be on the radio because I've never been on the radio before. And this this is a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, especially because I'm I'm interviewing you. Yes. <laughs> Especially because you're interviewing me. You're pretty amazing. I know. <laughs> you are too. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Do you ever think that Cameron's watching over you? Always. Every day. I never don't think that. Do you want to grab a snack and head down with Didi for a little bit? 
So I'm just going to get changed into a tank top and maybe go play on the tramp before I do that. You play can. on the tramp. Okay. Pull out your baseball stuff with you. All right. Quietly. Nice talking to you. Yep, you too. <laughs> I was amazed by Zach. Sharon says that's just the way he rolls. It's pretty articulate. He, he, that, honestly, that level of articulate, of that articulation, um, is language development. Like, that has what has really come out of grief for him, is the ability to figure out how to tell people what he needs and how he's feeling. And you saw it all happening? Uh, like, right in front of our eyes. Like, it was this process of... Um, just really reinforcing and validating his attempt to figure out how to explain himself and encouraging that. And that, I mean, honestly, the ability to to figure out what he needed and, and how he was going to tell us that he learned through play therapy completely changed his journey of grief um, from one that I worried was going to be forever traumatic to one that has taken trauma and allowed us to sort of work through it. Watching Zach work through his grief has helped Sharon work through hers. That and her memories of Cameron. The love he showed during his life, however brief. What's the big lesson, do you think, that you're trying to, that you've learned, that you, that you want to pass on? I think that grief is vastly misunderstood and that we need to understand that, that grief doesn't go away, but grief well-processed means we learn to live with it in a healthy way. We find some sort of healthy relationship with grief uh, versus allowing it to continually re-traumatize us. And that community is everything. That living this out in community versus isolation is a major gift. And it's hard to live in community when you're super vulnerable. But if there was one thing that I would heavily recommend after this is that community means support community also means that you can be there for other people and there's just something about shared community that makes life better you've talked about a lot of things that that Cameron said and did what's the most inspiring thing or two that keeps you going now the the number one is that that Cameron really taught us how important it is to love your people but at the end of the day, that's actually what we take away. Nothing else. We take away love. And that, I think, is maybe the most profound piece for me. Is the front flip your favorite? Sharon watches Zach bounce happily on the tramp in the backyard. Both of their lives are on the rebound. Can you land one? That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Amina Zoffer with help from Jeff Goods and Isabel Gallant. Our digital producer is Phil Drost, and our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. Okay, jump away. Now you got the sound close. I was in the warm all day. Like thousands of people.
Lovely. All right. Well, enjoy your baseball game. I will. Nice to meet you. Okay. We'll let you know when you're going to be on the radio so you can be famous. Okay. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.